you can listen to The Front on your smart speaker every morning. To hear the latest episode, just say, play the news from The Australian. From The Australian, here's what's on The Front. I'm Kristen Amiot. It's Tuesday, July 11. A voice to parliament is the last great chance for the nation's remote Indigenous communities. That's according to Indigenous leader Noel Pearson, who yesterday spoke with mayors of remote communities where deaths from preventable illnesses are widespread. They believe the voice would provide a direct line to the nation's decision makers and open up opportunities to make lasting change. Members of the coalition have mobilised against the government's proposed misinformation laws, which would beef up the powers of the Australian Communications and Media Authority. Frontbencher Dan Tehan says it's unclear who would be the arbiter of truth if the laws enacted, while party veteran Russell Broadbent says it's the most egregious legislation he's seen in decades. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese arrived in Lithuania for the two-day NATO summit overnight. He's part of an Indo-Pacific delegation invited as part of the alliance's push into the region. But that plan is already ruffling feathers. In today's episode, why Australia's been given a seat at the table and what we get out of it. NATO summits are rarely subdued affairs. The North Atlantic Treaty Organisation is a peace and security pact between 31 European and North American member countries. The alliance was established by just 12 founding member countries in 1949, and it's encountered several sticky geopolitical situations since then. And when the alliance assembles in Lithuania this week, it's doing so against a backdrop of growing geopolitical unease. Russia's unrelenting assault on Ukraine. The 500th day of the war in Ukraine shelling took more Ukrainian lives. Nationwide riots spurred by police brutality in France. A week of violence sparked by the police shooting of a 17-year-old boy. Arrests have been made across more than 200 towns and cities. And escalating tensions over the South China Sea for a start. Where Chinese military aircraft have been routinely violating Taiwanese airspace. NATO is expected to declare the Ukraine war the most significant threat to its security now that the conflict has surpassed its terrible 500-day milestone. And it's expected to follow up by bolstering the defence of its eastern flank. That means significantly increasing its military presence, starting in Estonia and tracking all the way down to Bulgaria. So suffice to say, all eyes will be on NATO this week. The world order is threatened by powerful revisionist states who don't want the international rules system to survive. Greg Sheridan is The Australian's foreign editor. Now, the nations in the world which believe in a rules-based order, which are predominantly the democracies, but not entirely the democracies, are recognising that most of these issues now have a global dimension, not just a regional dimension. Things like cybersecurity, nuclear proliferation, the application of artificial intelligence to weapons and so on. And so basically the American allies in Europe are talking to the American allies in Asia about things we can do to cooperate. On Sunday morning, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese boarded a plane bound for Europe. After a short stopover in Germany, which we'll come back to later in this episode, it was on to Lithuania for NATO. Well, the Prime Minister is off today to Lithuania for the NATO summit. He will give an address there similar to his Shangri-La address in Singapore, but it will be behind closed doors. 
But hang on, Australia's obviously not located in Europe or North America, and we're certainly not a NATO ally. So what's the PM doing there? It all has to do with the alliance's moves in the Asia-Pacific region, where increasing aggression from China poses a genuine threat to global security. Leaders from New Zealand, Japan and South Korea will be there too at the invitation of NATO chief Jen Stoltenberg. At the summit, we will be joined by the leaders of Australia, New Zealand, Japan and South Korea. Because our security is not regional, it is global. So we are working more closely on issues such as cybersecurity, maritime security and new technologies. The NATO group now two years in a row has invited Japan, South Korea, Australia and New Zealand to attend four powerful and important Pacific democracies. And I think it's a very sensible security dialogue between the two dominant regions of the world. NATO's plans in the Asia-Pacific are already the subject of some argy-bargy between its member nations. That's because Stoltenberg is keen to set up an outpost in Japan so the alliance can keep a closer eye on what China's up to. But French President Emmanuel Macron isn't having it, and neither, it seems, is former Prime Minister Paul Keating. He launched a sensational spray in which he accused NATO of inviting Europe's, quote, poison into our neck of the woods. So are we getting caught in the middle of someone else's fight? And what do we get out of NATO's move into the region anyway? What you're seeing is a dialogue amongst sophisticated upholders of the international rules-based system and particularly of American allies. And the challenge which nations like Russia and China pose to the rules-based system and to the security of nations is not the same, but it's not dissimilar. So it's not a question of what does Australia get out of it. But if you do want to reduce those terms, where we get better cooperation with the leading technology powers of the world. And through AUKUS, for example, the Australia-UK-US agreement, we're going to get nuclear-powered submarines that will make us more powerful, more resilient, and enhance our sovereignty because it will give us much greater military power. But there are a million other areas of critical cooperation, I mean, like intelligence sharing, we would have not one hundredth of our military effectiveness if we didn't have access to the whole system of American electronic intelligence. But anyone who thinks that not cooperating with the most powerful military alliance in the world enhances your military standing, I think needs to seek some counselling because they're just not operating very logically. Anthony Albanese's commute to Lithuania has been a wildly productive one so far. We'll have more on that after this short break. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go back now to Anthony Albanese's stopover in Germany. The PM met with Chancellor Olaf Scholz on Monday, where the two inked a billion-dollar deal for Australia to supply 100 armed carriers to Germany. 
the deal could come to be worth something in the vicinity of $6.5 billion over time. This will be one of our largest ever exports. We'll guarantee that the 1,000 jobs that are there in Queensland will go into the future and will be worth in excess of $1 billion for the Australian economy. This will boost our sovereignty, this will increase our defence capability and boost our economy. And that's not all. On top of the big defence deals, Albanese and Schultz announced a slew of climate and energy partnerships overnight in a press conference held against the backdrop of Berlin's famed Brandenburg Gate. Greg says Albanese's busy few days in Germany are a sign the nation is moving in the right direction when it comes to defence, albeit slowly. Germany is a very powerful economy and a very important country. It hasn't been very effective in living up to its promises in defence now because what was Russia was doing in Ukraine, it was going to at last rearm and take defence seriously and spend vastly more money on defence and all the rest of it. But it has been pretty underwhelming in terms of action so far. And this is a good development, but I don't think we see much in the way of strategic leadership from Germany. Part of what's happening here is not just that we're securing an export deal, but we are trying to talk Germany into being a bit more forward-leaning in defence. So the more that we encourage that movement, the better it is. But everybody's moving too slowly. The fact that we can barely supply Ukraine, one nation, with the arms that it needs from the whole of the Western Armoury, tells you something shocking about the state of the whole of the Western Armoury. The timing of the deals with Germany is fortuitous. That's because the Prime Minister is also expected to announce further military assistance for Ukraine during the summit. We don't yet know what form that assistance will take, but Greg has some suggestions. I think there are two or three principles the government should follow in its aid packages for Ukraine. First of all, just give them a lot of money. Just give them some cash. We could take money from the aid budget. You can't use aid money for weapons purchases, but you can use aid money for humanitarian assistance. So give them $50 million humanitarian assistance. Secondly, anything that we give them from defence, we must commit to replenishing in defence. So we make Bushmaster armoured personnel carriers in Australia, and the Ukrainians love the Bushmasters. They regard them as very effective. The army is very reluctant to do that because it says it shouldn't deplete its own order of battle. But if the government said, all right, we're going to offer Ukraine 100 more Bushmasters and we're going to make 100 more Bushmasters in Australia. Now, that would require it to spend a little more money on defence. But if it promises to replenish stuff that it gives out of the defence budget, then the Defence Department will be willing to give Ukraine the equipment that it wants and needs, such as Bushmasters. And then finally, we have 59 old Abrams tanks, which for reasons that escape all human logic, we're replacing with 70 or more new Abrams tanks. We have no use for any of these tanks. We haven't deployed a tank anywhere in a contested area since the Vietnam War. So why not give the Ukrainians those 59 tanks? So I would give the Ukrainians cash money, which is the most useful thing we could give them. I'd give them Bushmasters and then promise the Defence Force we're going to replenish the Bushmasters. And I'd give them, to start with, say, 30 of our 59 old tanks and then give them the rest as we get new tanks.
Greg Sheridan is the Australian's foreign editor. The NATO summit gets underway in the Lithuanian capital of Vilnius today. Subscribers can read our journalists' reporting and analysis anytime at theaustralian.com.au. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.